Welcome to Scare My Best Friend to Death. Where we answer the only true horror question. Will my best friend survive this movie? Join our hosts, Crystal, an avid horror enthusiast since she was a small child, and Katie, who has to sleep with a light on after watching anything remotely scary, as they discuss the best horror movies. Crystal can make Katie watch. Hi, I'm Crystal. And I'm Katie. And welcome back to the spoopy Halloween edition of Scare My Best Friend to Death, where tonight we're covering the 1935 universal classic, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, directed by James Whale. It's starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Elsa Lanchester, and Una O'Connor. Right now, at the time of recording, it is currently streaming on Peacock. Um, Generally, this one's a hard one to find on streaming uh, services, so there you go. Go to Peacock. Spoiler warning, you've had almost 100 years to watch this movie. (laughs) If If you still haven't seen it at this point, you deserve stuff to be spoiled for you. Um, trigger warning, there's violence, there's gore, there's a little bit of profanity, um, and there's talks of uh, religion in this this movie. Our, our special friend, Dave Gurman from The House of Screams, is listening in on this podcast, so occasionally he may chime in with a comment. Without further ado, our special spoopy edition. So Katie, have you, had you ever seen this before? No, I had not ever seen this before. Ma'am, you had a hundred years just about. <laughs> what do you mean you had never seen this before? You know, honestly, I didn't even know it was out there. Definitely didn't picture this being made in 1935 or released as a movie in 1935. I've seen all kinds of Frankenstein cartoons as a kid, but yeah, we had a lot when we were growing up that was like Frankenstein yeah. meets Alvin and the Chipmunks. And right. there's even an episode of Scooby-Doo where Frankenstein yep. and I think the Wolfman are together in an and episode. I was, all, I was all about some Scooby-Doo. <laughs> not me. <laughs> My sister and I had a conversation not that long ago when we would get ready for school Um, We lived right beside our grandparents, so we would go up to our grandparents' house, and they'd fix breakfast for us every morning, and they always put on Scooby-Doo, and for years, I'm I'm sitting here thinking to myself, damn it, Cindy's the golden child. They turned this shit on for her. I can't stand Scooby-Doo. Come to find out, Cindy was thinking the same thing, except about me. Turns out, neither one of us likes Scooby-Doo. We like the live-action movies with Matthew Lillard. But we don't like the cartoon, so we were trying to figure out who the fuck they were putting Scooby Doo on for, and we've we've just kind of kind of settled on it was the only station that had a cartoon on that early in the morning. So uh, we watched Scooby Doo while waiting on the bus. Um, is there anything like at the beginning of this movie, this trio at the beginning, where they're not quite as innocent as they appear to be kind of struck you as odd yes there were some definite almost kind of looked like I I really can't tell it was like they were a mix between a love triangle 
or like an open love triangle. The hardest part was just to follow it because I couldn't tell where they're, they were trying to have an accent from. Well, so it, it, parts of it sounded like, oh, maybe they were Irish or maybe they were Scottish. And then parts of it were like, I really don't know. <laughs> so the trio at the beginning is supposed to be Percy Shelley, husband of Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Right. And then you've got Lord Byron mm -hmm. is our triangle peak. But methinks that that triangle happens simultaneously and yes. interchangeably um, with yes. the way they um, they are portrayed in this movie. And historically, what is known about the three is what is portrayed in front of you. Did not know that. <laughs> so I want to tell you that they are supposed to have an English accent. At least that's where Mary Shelley is from. But, you know, you could have some Scottish influences. There are some Irish influences. It's funny to me how much, like, they roll their R's. And this is at yeah. a time when these type of movies or cinema altogether is rather new. Mm -hmm. And so you've They're got, yes, you've got stage actors and you can definitely tell that these are stage actors because they are projecting all the way to the back row mm -hmm. of the movie theater and probably three houses down if you're watching at home. <laughs> yes, it was around that time is maybe a few years before when they started adding actors actually talking while they were filming. Yeah. And so I think maybe that is where they were still at in their head was that they can't hear us. They're going to dub us over, you know, but no. Well back, well, back then they didn't even really know about dubbing or if they did it, they didn't do it very well. Things did not match up with lips very, very easily or very pleasantly. So <laughs> we're going to talk about this love triangle and stuff. And then. Frankenstein's monster and the bride Frankenstein is included right here in what I'm about to ask you. Do you think that the love triangle and then poor Frankie's monster and the bride of Frankenstein, do you think there's any parallel between that and current dating trends? That's a good hard. question. Really? I think all of it does because what? you're creating what, well, he was creating what he wanted and we kind of create our own, like if you're doing online or whatever, you're creating your own personality or um, you're, it's more about, seems to be like what you want. Yeah. And I but, think um, with kind of meeting online, you're, you're putting yourself out there and some people aren't always honest. Um, and so sometimes you get an idea before you meet of what this person is going to be like when you actually meet in person. And you probably wind up hissing like the Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> at the site. Yes. Or, you know, with the progressiveness of um, queer culture, you've got mm -hmm. open relationships. You've got polygamy in a sense. But I, I think this this says, you know, a few things about, you know, you can relate to it. It's, it's almost 100 years old, but. Right. If you think about it, you can relate to it. I mean, 
this is nothing new. It's just more widely accepted, I think. Yeah. Let me ask um, you this. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen Frankenstein? No. <laughs> I have failed you. Did you <laughs> did you realize or did you catch on after they transitioned out of the Lord Byron, Percy and Mary Shelley mm -hmm. piece? That they're actually giving you a play-by-play -play in like three minutes of what happened in the first film. Yes. You got a three-minute look back. <laughs> what yeah. made you angrier? The fact that the man jumped down into this burning house or the woman trying to help him back up? <sighs> um, you know, I, it, me and my notes about movies, I, I remember thinking that well, first off, the, the lady, uh, is it Millie? Minnie. We're going to get to her in just a second. Okay. Two seconds. In the very beginning, she gave me like Frumacera vibes from um, the nightmare in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. With the voice and all. So mm -hmm. I was kind of distracted by that. But with the fire, it was more of a, why are you going to do that? <laughs> why? why are you going to go down into a burning building? Even if it's most of the way put out. Well, you know, they yeah, probably didn't yeah. know about asbestos and what, yeah. and all that I back mean, then. But, you know, he said that he, he says that I want to make sure I want to see him dead. Yeah. And part of me is like, why? Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> the scene was not safe. Right. <laughs> scene, scene safety. Scene safety. Yes. Scene not safe. But then I like how the Burgomaster is like, okay, everybody go home, get in your beds. And everybody just kind of walks off. Minnie gives them some back talk, but you know, everybody kind of walks off. It's like nobody would dismiss that quickly, especially in the South. In the South, you know, we want we want to watch. Uh-huh. Burn, baby, burn. And I want to see them burn. <laughs> so speaking of, who is the best character and why is it Minnie? <laughs> um, Minnie is portrayed by Una O'Connor. She is yeah. one of the greatest like physical actresses that came out of this era. So not only is she in this, she's in the Invisible Man. And she is also, I mean, she's got a ton of credits, but she's also in the mini adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flint. Oh wow. She paid she plays Maid Marian's Lady in Waiting. And she's kind of known in this one, uh, you know, for having her rubbery face. Um, right. she, she's screaming. I think one of my favorite lines, the best quote in this whole movie, best quote is when she she has stayed back, has screamed at the monster because she has seen him, he's alive, and she hauls ass. Uh, However far away this burning building was, she hauls ass all the way back home, back into town, back home to the palace of uh, Baron von Frankenstein. And she's trying to tell them that the monster is alive. And of course, nobody believes them because, you know, the Burgermaster says they're dead. And she says, uh, well, yeah. let them all be dead. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm with you, sister. You know, he's out there, you know, to keep an eye open. Uh -huh. uh, and you say, fuck everybody else. Yes. While I was watching <laughs> it right at that point, I'm like, um, up until, is it Hans that gets unalived? Yes, it's Hans. It's the um, yes. I'm like, okay, 
right around that time, I'm like, Millie has got to calm down or she's going to have a, Minnie, sorry, is going to have a stroke before <laughs> the end of the movie. But then, it was, uh, it that, was that's cool. pretty much what the character she plays. Yeah. And it was kind of funny. But then again, the whole time I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is so Frumacera. And the butcher's wife. Yes, but, absolutely. Um, that it was just, yeah, she poor, she she was gonna have a stroke. And give somebody <laughs> Man, else. A she stroke. got some good cardio though. She got some good <laughs> cardio. Being able to run all the way from wherever they were into town, through town, up to the castle, and she wasn't out of breath. You know, I don't think Tom Cruise could do that. And we see him run in every single movie. <laughs> yes, yes, that was some serious cardio she was doing. <laughs> So with this movie, this is pre-code horror. When you watch this, there's a little screen that pops up at the beginning and there's like a certificate number at the bottom. I want to say this is like 729, 735, something like that. That's how many movies they had made up to that point that were pre-code. Pre-code means there wasn't as many rules or regulations or no, you can't do that as they are now or, you know, after code. So with this, Valerie Hobson plays uh, the bride. What are your thoughts on a child bride? Because I'd like to know Baron von Frankenstein's bride-to-be or wife. How old do you think she is? Uh, given the time period, I would say about 15 or 16. She Yes, she, she is 16. Now, if you watch Frankenstein... She is not the actress that played that character. They switched her over because uh, Mr. Colin Clive, Mr. Frankenstein, was an alcoholic and the original actress refused to work with him again. So they got this young lady. Did you notice that it was on throughout the movie that you didn't really see him walking too much and he sat a lot? He did. He did? Now that you think about it, yeah, he did. Yeah, he was sitting most of the time. Would you like to know why? Uh, was he drunk? Drunk man fell down, broke his leg. Ah. <laughs> well, yeah, drunk man have to stay off a leg. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have air casts back then. Mm -mm. Or air boots. They did not. Which I This is such a good movie. Yes, it's in black and white. I think that adds mm -hmm. to the charm. I think mm -hmm. that adds to the mystique especially when you've got scenes that are purely lit by candlelight. I think mm -hmm. it helps create, you know, the spoopy atmosphere. Is this the scariest thing you're ever going to watch in your life? No. Probably not, but it's a good ride, and it's only like an hour and 15 minutes, mm -hmm. um, which in today's standard of cinema, where everything's about three and a half fucking hours, you know, this... <laughs> This is this goes by pretty fast. I think they do a really good job of pacing on this. Now, we we are introduced to a character pretty early on in the movie that has a significant role. Mm -hmm. What when when he popped up and when Minnie's introducing him and stuff, what were your first inclinations or were your first feeling about Dr. Pretorius? Why does he look like a priest? I am not kidding. That was my very first thought. Well, you know, back in the day, well, I mean, he kind of, ex he doesn't explain his attire, but right. when he goes to um, Dr. Frankenstein, it, it turns out Dr. Pretorius was his university 
professor. So he is a scholar. So if you look back in, yeah. you know, this is supposed to take place in the late 1800s. If you look back to scholarly robes and scholarly outfits, that's what they yeah. look like. And they do look like priests. And, <laughs> you know, does that mean the church was controlling the schools as well? Yeah, in that area around that time, probably. Probably, which is funny what? to me because Dr. Pretorius says that he's been shunned and he's been kicked out for his research. Mm -hmm. They've, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing they knowing too much. Uh, uh, yes, they, they've, um, that he, he knows too much. And he kind of says it with kind of like a slyish little foxy wink to his eye. Like you can tell there's something mm -hmm. more and he just won't yeah. go into it. So do you, do you think he's just maybe a misunderstood man? Because he sets a lot of plot into motion for this movie. Do you think he's just misunderstood, maybe needs some love? Or do you think he's just an evil mad scientist? I think he's a mixture of both of those, actually. Um, because, I mean, first off, thinking about it, when he says, you know, he's the doctor and the philosopher, usually you don't see those two going together you see somebody that says they're a doctor, but they also not, it, it was the way that I felt like it was almost presented as in like, I'm this, but sometimes I'm this almost like a, a Jekyll and Hyde type yeah. where he's got two part, like two parts to himself. He almost, I almost felt like he was blackmailing him at the beginning. And he absolutely um, was. Yes. And like he knows something that nobody else knows or maybe he's just a little creepy. And then, you know, I'm watching it. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You telling me this doctor man has been carrying around a coffin with him and nobody has said anything. You know, if he said All he was a doctor, if he said he was a doctor, he's got that coffin. They probably just kind of think, well, you know, maybe he pronounced them and now he's going to go bury them or whatever, or, he, or he's taking them to the family. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. And then I'm like, no normal person carries around a coffin. And then, you know, when he starts to open it and he's explaining more and you see what he's created, then I feel it's more of the, okay, we've pushed it a little too far now and we're the mad scientist. Like, he had me at first, but then it was like he just, he went too far with it. Because, I mean, what are those tiny little creatures going to do? Right. Uh, and speaking of the tiny creatures, there is, there's part of that scene that's cut out. It, it's with a baby but they mm -hmm. did that entire scene with the people in the glass all practical i only know a little bit about the scene because there hasn't really been a lot released about how they did it mm -hmm. but something to do with a completely black screen and they still pulled it off in 1935 that effect looks amazing yes dr pretorius is telling you know is showing dr frankenstein these people that he's created, I gave them life. So he's kind of got a God complex. And so what does he create? He creates a queen. He creates a priest. He creates 
a king and he has to have the priest because king keeps getting out of his container <laughs> to go there to smacky smack on the queen. Uh-huh. And so you have that. There's a baby that's cut from that. Uh-huh. And it is Billy Barty's first role ever. Billy Barty is a little person actor that has passed. I want to say Billy Barty has passed. We have his autograph as well as Una O'Connor's. But he he was in a lot of he was in a lot of stuff. Um, you'd recognize him if you looked him up. But this was his first role. What strikes me as odd, and what strikes me as basically, you know, something that kind of sticks out and kind of tells you kind of Dr. Pretorius has got a little bit more to him than meets the eye is the fact mm-hmm. that he has created the devil. And then he leans in next to that canister and says, it's got a striking resemblance to me, don't you think? So he's mm-hmm. proud of this evil incarnation that he has created. So when that popped up, what were your thoughts on that? Did you go, oh, snap? More of, oh, that was creepy. You know, like, just, oh, get me away from him. And this is not going to end well. I will say that he's, that that was the one I was not expecting him. Well, I wasn't expecting him to pull tiny humans out of jars in a coffin anyways. But that was the one I did not, like, did not see coming. Did you notice that uh, the king looked a lot like King Henry VIII? I did. I did. And he was a horn dog. So, I mean, you know, he's got all of You've got all of that correlation. David's really smiling about that one. <laughs> and David, David loves that part of the movie. He's got a real, you know, I guess affinity for Dr. Pretorius. I love Dr. Pretorius. He's subversive. And and he's obviously, he's obviously gay, even in the context of this film. And and yeah. the actor, Ernest Heisinger, was gay, and the director, James Whale, was gay. Yes. And you weren't allowed to be gay back then. And so he wrote, he right. directed uh, Ernest Heisinger as a, a thumb in the eye to you know the world i guess yeah he's obviously he says actually in the book sorry to interject but it, it was it's not in the movie but in the book uh dr Pretorius even says something about he's not able to reproduce in the normal way and that's why he made the homunculi so he's just it's, he's totally it's totally queer coded it is and i it- love it Yes, I know. Subversive and I, I delight in it. This this is one of those I'm a pokey in the face. Um, uh-huh. but you've got to be smart to kind of catch it. Um, yeah. James Whale directed Frankenstein. Yeah, and the Invisible Man. Yes. And so those made so much money when they brought in Bride of Frankenstein, or you know, they were basically like, Yes, do a twine. So he interjected as much as he could, including convincing Elsa Lancaster to do the role of not only Mary Shelley, she's a, a, a the, the monster or uh, the bride is labeled in the credits as a question mark, hmm. but it's, it's Elsa Lancaster. Hmm. Now, I wonder how many people in 1935 never knew who played the bride of Frankenstein. I just, because <laughs> if you pay attention and you really look, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, Elsa was a famous beard. Okay, I'm not going to go into explaining mm-hmm. to you what that means. Google it. Uh, yeah, go to Urban Dictionary. I got gotcha. you. Uh, you have 
not only members of the Alphabet Mafia, but you have supporters of the Alphabet Mafia in this this film, which for 1935 says a lot. You know, they were flipping big old birds to everybody. (laughs) Yes. This is like the third-ish movie in a row I think we've done where, please tell me if I'm wrong here, but the police, or in this case, the Burgermaster, is portrayed as a fucking idiot. <laughs> yes. We just seem to have that streak going on right now. We, we do, yeah. It seems like we, you've got that, you've got undertones going in and out of each plot for all of the movies we've done. And for this one, I almost wonder when you said that about, you know, the Mary Shelley, the character being the beard was almost like she was that at the beginning of the movie where it's the three of them starting everything. Yeah. Now Mary Shelley wasn't the beard, the actress that's playing her. Elsa right, Lane right, has the, her the beard. But yeah, yeah. they kind of, they kind of have, they kind of have like this open three way going on. Yeah. Like where no matter which direction, it's a three-way. Um, use yeah. your imagination, people. Yes. Let me ask you a question, because I know you. Did the violin man make you cry? Yeah, a little. <laughs> he, he you know, <laughs> that that's really a touching scene yes. to me. You you have and and they he makes a comment that I think probably you and I have said to each other at least a hundred times in our friendship. And it's what a pair we make <laughs> because you've got the violinist that Frankenstein's monster stumbles upon in the woods as he's trying to flee from the townspeople mm-hmm. because all he wants is a friend. Mm-hmm. This whole movie is about Frankenstein wanting a friend. Right. So he stumbles upon this gentleman in the woods and he hears violin music so that he He's like, oh, that kind of sounds pretty good. Let me let me see what this is. And the violinist is blind, so he can't see him. And then Frankenstein's monster is not necessarily mute, but like my father does now, kind of speaks in grunts at the beginning (laughs) of that of that that that, uh, friendship. And so it's a very sweet kind of humanizing scene or a few scenes. It's, it's probably a 10 minute chunk of the movie where you see their friendship develop and blossom. And we don't know how long Frankenstein's monster is there with the violinist right. because it, it happens so quickly. You're like, Oh, that's probably, you know, just an afternoon, but I think that they yes. show them sleeping at one point. So you're like, yes. at least that, you know, that's at least a 24 hour period. But and he's speaking. Yes, they teach him. The violinist teaches Frankenstein's monster some word, and probably my favorite is "drink good, smoke <laughs> good." <laughs> that's that's yep. probably my my favorite because then the the violinist is you know lighting the fire, or stoking the fire to to have some soup or or whatnot cooked. And Frankenstein's monster is like, oh, fuck this, fire bad. <laughs> and right. there's not been a time that I haven't been at a fire drill where I'm not thinking, oh, fire bad. <laughs> when I think about the violin man, 
and you realize, and he's playing Ave Maria. Right. And so there's the religious undertone right there. Mm -hmm. But. Well, there's times of crosses in yeah. the gentleman's yeah. area too. And, I, and he reads to him from the Bible, doesn't he? Yes. Does he read and directly from the Bible? I can't remember. I think it's. A, he certainly does yeah. say some. Yeah, he does. Yeah. The Bible and, he, um, and he and the monster share bread and wine. Right. So he and to smoke, me smoked the smoke, yeah, smoke. that wasn't in the yeah, Bible. He, yeah, he was the the good in the movie. That he what? saw the good. He represented all the good. And I guess for a lot of you know, the the bread and the wine or and the smoke and the you know, all of that, but he doesn't he can't see what's on the outside. And right, which, which is a wonderful, I mean, it's not wonderful that that man's blind, but it, it humanizes both of them in, right. in that scene. You know, I think, you know, poor Frankenstein, I'm just going to call him Frankie. Um, the first time somebody screams at him, he's just trying to get water because he's thirsty. Right. And then the shepherdess falls in and he pulls right. her out. But then the townspeople come around in and they think he's drowned her. Right. And then when he gets out and he gets into the woods, he runs across the gypsies, but he's just hungry. I mean, the poor guy, he just, he burns the same arm he just got shot in. He's having a rough night. And then he stumbles upon the violin man playing the Ave Maria. So I think like in my head, it completely captures this when you're at your lowest you find somebody who is good like coming back to the whole religious thing that they were trying to make it almost like this violin man he was the good guy in the whole movie right yeah because in direct comparison you've got the violinist uh and you've got dr pretorius they are complete opposites on the spectrum yes and you've got the poor monster just trying to figure out, you know, uh -huh. what, the, what the fuck I'm going to do. <laughs> right. And, you know, random, you know, squirrel moment here. Side note. I've always wondered why, you know, he is. Yes, we get Frankenstein's the monster, but he's he's got stitches all over his body. Why does he not just get stitches in his neck, too? Why does he have to have two bolts sticking out? Okay, because you have not seen Frankenstein. So let me explain no. this real quick. So Frankenstein is Frankenstein's monster. Uh -huh. is constructed of various body parts that they have put together from grave robbing. He has two bolts on the side of his neck, ma'am, because they had to hook up the DC and the AC battery to him, and the lightning struck the pole, and uh -huh. it brought him to life, just like the Bride of Frankenstein has the bolts, and they struck her ass with lightning, too, and now she's alive. Mm -hmm. so, so why can't they remove them, like... You know, Katie, probably because it's decaying flesh. <laughs> but, you know, that's just one thing I've always, like, why they still have to You know, every once in a while, think about this and think about your car. You start having oh, yeah. trouble with the car starting, so then you got to jump your battery off. You got to make sure the alternator's good, the starter's good. Yeah. If we take them bolts out of his neck, we can't make sure that he can get a jump start and that his alternator and his starter are good. You know, poor Frankenstein will be, you know, not, he'll be, you know, unevenly twitching going down the sidewalk without that tune-up. 
David wanted me to mention that bread and wine are sacraments. Uh, you, uh, once they're consecrated, yes. Well, you know, not everybody has juice and, and crackers in church. <laughs> nope, we go for the full-on wine. Yes. Katie's Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, I mean, you could probably determine a lot off of this movie. You probably saw a yes. lot of religious things in there that made sense to you or whatever. Yes. I, on the other hand, and a ginger with no soul. And the one time <laughs> that I went to the Lutheran church with a friend, I choked and almost choked to death on the the grape juice and cracker that they shoved in my mouth. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll just leave that where that hey. is. Hey, you survived coming to church with me multiple times. I didn't have to take communion with you. Well, this is true. You did go through a, a trail, though, and, and see a rabbit hole. I did. I, I, I that, that was a fucking snake hole, and you can't tell me any different. And I got the hell out of there because I'm smart. How many, how many rabbit holes or snake holes do you think Frankenstein's monster saw while he was tromping around in the woods? And this man, my man, Frankie Monster, had them platform form roach killers as we used to call them that are now back in style this man in 1935 had them before anybody else you cannot tell me them orthopedic shoes are quiet <laughs> no, he probably squished all of the holes as he was stumbling that man oh. i would have broken my ankles i don't know how many times trying to walk in his platforms now yes. them roach killers and them roach stompers i could walk in them no problem target mm. keeps tempting me with them on the shelf. I really want to buy some, but now I'm old <laughs> and that looks like a broken hip and I just can't do it. Right. And the floor is a long way down. Yeah. Yeah. The older I get, the further away it gets. Yes. And the harder it hurts. Um, hey, David, question for you. Do you know how tall Boris Karloff is? No idea. Oh, okay. How tall is Boris Karloff? No, I, I really don't know. I was going to say around like six, five in this Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein's yeah. monster. Big ass shoes. Yeah. I remember watching it thinking, okay, the reason he's walking like that is because his shoes weigh 30 fucking pounds. Yeah. I I would, yes. And if you went into water, you'd probably drown. Now, Boris Karloff <laughs> himself had an entire makeup kit and would do his makeup and would use like fish hooks and everything to get. I, this was the 30s. They had wow. to come up with it. They had to create it. One thing I do know about him and the Frankenstein get up, the Frankenstein monsters get up uh, and okay. makeup and wardrobe and stuff is that he wound up getting dehydrated several times because everything weighed so much and they were filming and he was under the lights that he was sweating literally to death. Part of me, what when I'm watching it, I'm like, just all the different effects that they had. I was absolutely blown away the stuff that they could do at that time. Well, when you have to come up with it on your own because it hadn't been done before, I mean, you you figure out a way. Like, what kind of mind can do that? Uh, <laughs> I, I encourage but, you. It's not on the list. Uh, yeah. But I encourage you to watch Frankenstein. Now, at some point, we may cover The Invisible Man. I love Una O'Connor. I think she steals that movie. But to watch Frankenstein, I think I think you would enjoy that. Do you think this blind man, this is just an ADHD thought. Do you think this blind violinist ever washes them cups and plates and silverware that he's Giving people to, and how would he know that he's washed it well? 
Um, Cause that stuff looked dirty as fuck. Uh, yeah, I thought about that, but then I thought, you know, the time frame it's supposed to be in, they're going to be washing it in a bucket of water. And how clean is that water? What has it been used for? And, and he's Same blind. So, you know, he, he might, you know, accidentally go to the, you know, there might be two buckets of water side by side and, and the lighting. Well, I mean, the lighting wouldn't matter to him, but yeah, no, it, it did not. It, but, it don't look Lysol real good. No, I don't think they had Lysol then, though. No, they did not. It it just looks like <laughs> a germy mess. For those who yeah. don't know, I am a germaphobe. I just, I can't. This whole violinist man's house looked like it needed to be dusted, vacuumed, and hosed down with some industrial strength, either Lysol or a hydrogen peroxide wash, something. Well, you know, those two guys took care of it. Yeah, yeah. The So... What breaks up our, our bromance here of Frankenstein's monster and the violinist is that eventually two hunters come around because they're looking for Frankenstein's monster. And they want to make sure that old homeboy violinist man is all right. So when they bust down the door, their eyeballs work. And they're like, oh, the monster. And so they just start trying to shoot and kind of beat up. And they wind up lighting this poor man's house on fire. Mm-hmm. And I could not help but notice the similarities between this and where they're chasing Frankie through the woods to when the townspeople are chasing the beast and Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they've got torches and everything, which yes. that that is like 19th century. Beauty and the Beast is like 19th century France. Mm-hmm. And so this is 19th century Englandish. So, and, you know, not that far away. So, yeah, probably and, kill it with fire. <laughs> and then part of me is like, how are they managing to run through the woods with torches, which are not light, holding them with one hand and not lighting the rest of the forest on fire? You know, that's that's a feat because if it would have been me or you, one of us would have tripped, we would have lit ourselves <laughs> on fire, the whole set would have went up. Uh, everything, man. We've been in a burn ward, probably on some morphine and opioid drip and Coca-Cola oh. with the cocaine. Yeah, it would not have been good. Yeah, we... I noticed. I noticed that. And then there were some things like throughout the movie that I'm like, I wonder if somebody like different pieces of different movies. Like, did they get this from this movie? More than likely, is, give me an example of what you're thinking about. Okay, well, you know, the first one is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But, you know, when when you have him in the woods and he comes up on the gypsies, for me, that had a almost... Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yes, thank you. That's the... I'm, I'm going, oh gosh, I know the characters' names. I know... I see it in yeah, my reminds you of Esmeralda and her family. Yes, Esmeralda with her family, but also Quasimodo. Yeah. And Frankenstein. And they were both, they were hidden from people because they were the monster. And then if I'm, you know, doesn't Notre Dame burn down? Yes. And there's a priest from oh, hell yes. in that movie too. But so, if you go back and watch that movie as an adult and I believe it's on uh Disney Plus. Yes. The priest in that one as well is very queer centric. 
if you go back and watch and just pay attention. But yes. Yep. I keep, I don't know that I just, for some reason, the whole movie, I kept going back to Dr. Pretorius just creeped me out. <laughs> he um, seems like he is the type of person that if you were like, even in the same vicinity with the hair on the back of your neck or the hair on your arms would stand up and, and mm-hmm. it's almost as though you would expect anytime someone says his name or anytime he pops up for there to be lightning. Mm-hmm. Yes. He just kind of has that air and, about him. And doesn't at the beginning, isn't there a thunderstorm going on when he first arrives? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And then Minnie goes and, to answer the door and she calls it, doesn't she call it a, a queer name? Pretorius. Yeah, she, but I don't think that word meant the same. No, she just means that it was a strange yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, all throughout the movie, I'm like, I don't know. I almost expected him to just jump in and be in random scenes all throughout the movie. Oh, like, you expect jump scares? Well, that, but just because he's so creepy. Ernest Geiger is a fantastic actor. He he released an autobiography of his film roles in stage work before this movie. It's an extremely hard novel, very rare to find. But he he was a fabulous, fabulous Mm -hmm. actor. Even from at the beginning, where he's kind of like hinting that he's hinting at or insinuating at the blackmail to by the end we have like full on surpassed any kind of random hints we have like straight up kidnapped the wife the baron's wife yes we're holding her for ransom we're gonna say baron's wife and not child bride (laughs) yeah i i was i was trying to you know make that sound a little bit better it like just the way he does that he's not even like you know, in the movies that we have today, let's say like um, Air Force One, mm-hmm. have Gary Oldman, who is very like business-like about his hostages being the president's wife and daughter. But this guy is more like, he's just, he has that creepy factor to where you're like, I really don't know if he's going to just kill her and bury her or peel her skin off and make a mask with it. You know, he's he, just that kind of creepy. You know, this is and, probably about 95 years before the Joker, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. His fascination and having to create more life, like his God complex was just over like, he lost his damn mind by the end of the movie kind of thing. <laughs> he did. <Yeah>. Now, <laughs> he did. Now, out of all of the characters in this movie, please tell me why you and I are the most like the incompetent grave robbers that Dr. Pretorius <laughs> hires. Um, one, of us, one of us is trying to get all the details and the other one is like, just pay me. I right. did your stuff. Just pay me. Yes. Well, I think, you know, good friendships kind of need that, um, <laughs> that balance, um, you know. You know, you need a little push every once in a while. And so we get towards the end of the movie there and Pretorius is talking to uh, Frankenstein's monster and telling him he's going to make a friend for him or whatnot, has mm-hmm. this, 
has this female and all Frankenstein's monster wants is a friend. But Dr. Pretorius, Dr. Frankenstein, they see this as a mate. Yes. So when the bride finally gets, you know, lifealized, uh, <laughs> she, she, she comes to life. What were your thoughts on that? You know, I think they do kind of like a push in there, but it, to her on the way that she looked. When she first comes to life or? Yeah, they, they tilt up the, um, they tilt up the table. I really liked the buildup to it and I think it kind of added more of the um, coming alive. So like when they set her up and you've got all the lightning going everywhere and she's draped in the sheet, the buildup to that was so dramatic that I feel like it was okay that she wasn't all sparkly and shiny and that she was a little understated in almost like a, they have her in the white where she's almost like the pure monster. And right. it Well, uh, you got to think about the time frame. They're presenting her like he, Frankenstein's monster just wants a friend. They are presenting her as a wife. So she's in white for purity's sake. She is a bride. Yeah. Let me strap a sack on me and I will be the same bride. It's almost like, were they wanting to take her straight from the table to the altar? Yeah, and pretty like, much. And I mean, that says a lot about us as females. Like what role do we really have here? Like what, what, right. what is our purpose? Are we just baby factories? And it's kind of like when we go back and talk about friend from Donna the dead and when they're talking about her abortion and she ain't even in the room she's not included in the conversation this this person was dead <laughs> and they have brought her back literally and, she, and, and they're like you're gonna marry this dude and her first instinct when they cut the bandages away is to do what run no she doesn't run so she hisses yes and she moves away mm -hmm. and then yes. she runs yeah now for it, for Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It is like that immediate, oh, where am I? You know, like. Like, yeah, I was uh, up in heaven and I was on a cloud and I had wings. What the fuck am I doing here? Right. <laughs> I served my sentence. What am I doing back? Right. Uh, like, complete blank slate, does not know what's going on. Hide me in the corner. Yeah, I don't want to be part of this. Yeah, like when a, a small child wakes up from a nap. They are complete blank slates. Like nothing else happened earlier in the day unless you promised them. They didn't them terrorize your ass all day. Right. They slept. They're up. I want a cookie. Let's go. Right. <laughs> the only thing they're going to remember is if you promised them a cookie earlier in the day. <laughs> right. And so for this movie to be called The Bride of Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein is only in it for about three minutes. Yeah. The 30s were a different time, people. Get your Coca-Cola with the actual cocaine <laughs> and sit through an hour and 12 minutes before you see the bride. Mm -hmm. Now, Elsa Lancaster is the bride. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that this movie went, was filmed, how she, not necessarily how she was treated, but how everything happened, she refused to do horror after this. Refused. So... 
when we see her and she stood up on the, the table, they flip the table up, they cut mm-hmm. her bandages away. That is her hair. And it is wrapped around horse wire tightly. Her kind of in that dress or what we see as a dress, she's mm-hmm. strapped down and she's wrapped extremely tightly to the point that it affected her breathing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she went through hell and high water for this film and was like, I'm not I'm not doing this shit again. Um, she's a fantastic fantastic actress she does come back in a horror film that I like in the 70s but I don't think she would consider her role in that really a horror movie it's Willard um, but it's I I like that one but when we're talking about her as the bride man you could tell this was pre-code and that they didn't have any OSHA regulations and that they were just out wild and they wanted her to make kind of a hissing sound, kind of an kind of like a you know an angry creature sound. And what mm-hmm. she settled on was to mimic a goose's hiss. And if you have ever been around a goose, it don't take but two seconds to see the motherfuckers and run the other way. Mm-hmm. Geese, geese, for those that don't know, geese are mean and they have multiple rows of teeth. We don't need that in a land animal and especially not one that has an attitude issue. And I passed about a gang of like 50 of them on my way home today and it scared the crap out of me. It it almost made me think of the monkeys from the omen. I was like, oh, this is going to happen, but it's the geese. Well, you know, the ones that we have here in town that they used to just be in one spot at one park. And now they're in... They're by that park. They're in the grass, grassy area behind it. And they're over at the schools. Why they pick the schools, we don't know. We really figure they just really want to shit on some little kids. But there's probably a lot really, of thrown away bread yeah. at the schools. And, and it's, it's the creepiest sound to hear when you're not expecting it. Because that sound should not come from a bird. You, you know what? All I got to say is me and the goose, if that sound happens, I'm going to look like Charlie Brown because I'm going to try to punt the ass as far away from me as possible. <laughs> you get chased by any kind of bird, uh, rooster, peacock, uh, goose, you don't deal with them. Like y'all take your dinosaur the ass, go home, fly on south. We ain't further enough for far enough south for you go home go to florida (laughs) deal with florida man i ain't got time for you go feed the alligators right and then come back for christmas and we'll enjoy you then Mm -hmm. what do you think so we get to the the bride is created the bride frankenstein's monster says friend and all she does is hiss at him and runs away and so frankenstein's monster very quickly realizes she ain't gonna be my friend and Dr. Pretorius is trying to get him drunk. <laughs> Drink good, smoke good. I agree with Frankie's monster. I got yes. this. I'm with you. But he's getting him drunk off of wine, whatnot. When he gets to the part where he's like, oh, I had enough of this shit. I'm tearing the whole place down. Burn the club down. And he he looks at Dr. Frankenstein. And he looks at 
Dr. Frankenstein's wife. And he says, you go, we belong dead. Mm-hmm. And he keeps Dr. Pretorius. Is Frankenstein's mm-hmm. monster validated in that right? Or is it murder? Or <laughs> what are your thoughts on this final climactic end of movie scene? I really think that by this point, Frankie is no longer just the brainless monster. He's grown and developed through, well, the first movie too, but that I haven't seen. I'm imagining he's grown through that one and into this one. And he's now, it's almost like he's got a soul now. He may be unalive, alive, but he's got a soul and like he's trying to protect others from the evil doctor is kind of how I took it. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he does good. It, it benefits everybody because we all know if Dr. Pretorius is left alive, his experiments are going to get wilder, mm-hmm. larger, and probably worse. Now, what I would like for someone to do is probably some kind of prequel, sequel, equal where we see Dr. Pretorius just creating shit. Like, <laughs> let me see you get kicked out of college. Let me see you get spurned. Let me see you create something to go kill whoever spurned you. Right. And I noticed, you know, at when they've got the Baron, when he's got, you know, Baron von Frankenstein sitting at the table before, and he's got like the brain and the heart. And mm-hmm. he says, no, the heart has to have electricity. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, why did doctors at this time not go, huh? And how much further along would cardiology actually be? I know they're like 15 years, but I mean, that, yeah. that is the thing I think I pointed out to David when we watched it together for maybe the first time. And I'm like, he ain't wrong. You got, a, you got an electric plant in your heart. You do need electricity. So, you yeah. Know. And, and he kept it, you know, there was fluid with it. You know, and I'm like, man, this movie is like almost, well, not really, but you know, like they got, a, they got a medical fact, correct? They do. Yeah. It is very rare happen. that it happens, but when it happens, yeah. we do give it credit. Yes. Okay. So before we get into final thoughts, the budget mm-hmm. for this movie in 1935 was $397,000. At the box office, it made two million. Wow. So, three hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars in today's money would be eight point seven million. Like they they spent everybody's money on this Universal mint they were making this sequel. <laughs> the critics the critics gave it a ninety-eight percent rating. Audiences, I think, don't like maybe black and whites and gave it an 87% rating and the Metacritic score for this is 95. The Metacritic score is out of a scale of 100. So knowing all of that, final thoughts, Katie, how are your feelings on The Bride of Frankenstein? I was not terrified. I actually really liked it. If it wasn't the middle of the school year, I'd probably, you know, sit down and watch it again when I got more free time. I like that it was able to have so many moments where you had 
all the over um, overarching tones and you have these where you have bits that you can see where other movies may have gotten ideas in. I like the story behind it. And sometimes I feel like in a lot of horror movies, the story is lacking, but it wasn't lacking here. Oh, I like that. David, do you have any final thoughts you want to contribute? I want to see the film where Pretorius time travels to like 1970s New York and goes to Studio 54. You think he'd go to to 54 or do you think he'd go to the Copacabana? Yeah, I don't know, but maybe both. Uh, In the same night. Yeah. Dressed exactly (laughs) how he's dressed in this film. You know, he'd get in. His hair, his outfit, he would get in, no problem. But who do you think is going to OD for him to create another body? (laughs) I don't don't know. Who who OD'd back then? I'm trying to think who OD'd back then. Who didn't OD back then? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, if you haven't looked up pictures of Studio 54 from like the 70s and the early 80s, there is actual drug use in the photos. Just mm-hmm. it's wild. The 80s were definitely the, the decade of excess. Yeah, I want to see Pretorius and, and vicariously James Whale able to live their best life that way. After dancing. We did not deserve James Whale. I'm, I'm glad we have them for, for things like this. Katie, yep. um, anything you want to plug? I mean, okay. So yeah, we said that I was Catholic. Please don't hate on us because of that. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's all right. We also have the other extreme. We have David. David's an atheist. So we've got your North Pole and your South Pole people. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm um, a gender. So <laughs> I have no soul. So we got you covered on all bases on this. this Yeah. And, uh, and and I'm very liberal with that. Yes. Um, I think, and I just, I really just loved this movie. I'm so glad. I'm glad it didn't scare you to death. I I thought, I thought this, (laughs) this piece yeah, it was in 1935. It, you said it at the beginning. It really doesn't feel like a movie from 1935. It's got some historical, yeah. you know, pieces in it. it I, what I really want is Minnie's fascinator. Like, <laughs> she wears, I don't think that fascinator wears her. I think she wears the fascinator. You know, yes. my life goal is to be Una O'Connor, is to be Miss Minnie. It, if David will let me, I'll just start screaming randomly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have Una's autograph and picture and uh-huh. i'll post that to our buy me a coffee david has a tattoo of una o'connor from this movie um where it was drawn by frank Dietz. um it's amazing we also have billy Barty's autograph so if you are a member of our buy me a coffee you will get access to those photos uh, and see all of that. Uh, I love this movie. Out of all of the universal horror classic movies, this is number one. And I just hate to tell y'all that the bottom is the mummy. I just, it, it's slow. It has some good buildup in it. I, I like the scenery, but that's all it's got going for it. I, I can deal, I can, I can do without uh the mummy everything else though gets kind of mishmashed in the middle um but this top mummy bottom 
date? Uh, we're both on the House of Screams. Come find us there. We have fun. We do. We have. It don't always make sense, but we have fun. We have loads of fun. And if you enjoyed this ADHD conversation, you will definitely enjoy the House That Screams. If you found us because of the House That Screams, thank you. If you found us before the House That Screams, go and listen to them. Um, you can find us on all podcast streaming. We're on Spotify. We are on uh, Amazon Prime. We're on iHeartRadio. We're even on. Uh, I think it's pronounced Ghana, which is just for India. So share with your friends. Um, if you'd like to support us, please uh, go to our Buy Me a Coffee. You could do a one-time donation if you'd like. It helps us keep the light on for the show and helps us pay for uh, podcasting expenses. We also have various tiers where you'll get behind-the-scenes photos of me and Katie throughout the year, um, photos that have to deal with the episodes, you get the episodes early, and in our highest tier, you get to choose three episodes per year to put Miss Katie through. Um, so you can be as generous as you want, or you could be like, oh, I I'm going to get her. Um, <laughs> so from all of us here at Scare My Best Friend to Death, thank you for joining us for our spoopy uh, Halloween edition, and we hope you loved us. Deuces. Peace out, everybody.